Good morning. I'm here with my wife, Betsy. Betsy's in the back. We had a mishap at Alum Creek yesterday, and she broke and pretty radically deformed her arm. So she's, she'll have surgery this week, but she's toughing it out this morning big time, and, and she's going to help, help with the slides. Um, I'm a physician working in Angola. Um, Angola, we have a slide of Angola that is coming up. So this slide says mudandspit.com. You'll learn a little bit about that by the time we're through today. Um, work in Angola. Angola is on our side of Africa towards the south. Uh, this is a slide of our kids who all live in the States right now. Um, and I'd like to say in starting that we came back about a month ago. We've, uh, our history is with, we were with Brazil from about 2005 to 2011, and then from there, we've been in Angola since. Um, we came back, we come back every two years to connect with people we know here. We, we came back about a month ago and spent some time with our sending mission, SIM, in North Carolina, and with Samaritan's Purse, who we work with a lot in North Carolina. We went and visited our kids um, for several weeks. We went and spent some time with my extended family. And three days ago, we came to Sunbury. And yesterday, last night, I came home. This is, it's crazy beautiful to be here. It's crazy, this is a crazy beautiful place. And. We were part of ECDC for a short time, from the beginning to 2005, but you are in our hearts all the time, and we are doing everything we do connected with you. BCDC has been an incredible support relationally and in so many ways since we've begun our work in Angola. Especially five years ago, you guys purchased an ambulance. Um, that's hauling some wood, but it's multi-purpose vehicle that we use as an ambulance. Um, it, uh, this is a picture of it after some wear, and it has been, it's faced quite a bit. Um, it has transmitted, transported many people to surgery, hundreds of people who have late received life-saving surgery because of this car. It's transported a lot of stuff, a lot of fuel there, and it's had some mishaps, many mishaps. A couple of them are pictured here. Beautiful, beautiful vehicle that has served people, beautiful tool that has served people tremendously over the last number of years. Uh, this, a couple of months ago, Brett and Sarah Latta from BCDC came and visited us, and we had a delightful time. You're all invited. You're all invited to come and see and come and participate in what we do. Brett and Sarah graciously um, heard a lot of honest and straightforward and raw conversation in the two weeks that they were with us, and I hope to communicate some of that here with my family. So um, I am brevity challenged, and I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to do my best to push through. Pray for me over the next three hours so that I get finished. <laughs> so... Um, We'd like to frame who we are with a passage from Jesus' life. Jesus is our king. Amen? Because of Jesus, we've abandoned everything. 
to follow him. And his words are our instructions. And his spirit, as much as we're able, is our guide. And so we want to we frame um, what we do in Angola around a passage that I think God gave me to share um, while we were in Angola. The passage that we want to use is John 1, or John 9, 1 through 7, and I'll read it briefly. You can read along. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why has this man been born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and no one can, then no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes, told him to go wash. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. The disciples, let's pray. Father, I need you to help me. Communicate what you want to communicate to each person here over the next few minutes. Please touch each one of us. We're all at different places, and we all desperately need you. Thanks, Father. Um, why did Jesus happen? Or why Jesus? Why did this happen to this man? Is the question the disciples asked. Why is such a human question? Amen. Why did this happen? We've all been there. Why did this happen to him? Why did this happen to her? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me now? The disciples were no different. It's entirely appropriate for us to ask why. It's entirely appropriate for us to ask friends, for us to ask our pastor, for us to ask our family, for us to ask leaders. But sometimes we forget to do what the disciples did. And take our question directly to Jesus. And he invites us to do that. He didn't rebuke their question. He invited their question. We don't want to let the culture determine our answers. We want Jesus to determine our answers. Amen? Humility asks why. Humility admits that I don't know. Humility seeks God for help. Arrogance has all the answers, and arrogance doesn't need help. And we in the evangelical community, myself included, feel a lot of pressure sometimes that we need to have all the answers. Baloney. There's only one that has all the answers, and that's not me. It never will be. And probably it's not you. Humility was in these disciples following Jesus. They ask why. I ask why. I ask why all the time. I still ask why. Difficulty and pain prompt the question. I ask why, Jesus, why are the world's resources distributed so pathetically? How can it be like this in Angola? Why did this baby die? Why did this baby live? Why do people of Angola suffer such painful, tragic losses. There are so many young deaths. In Angola, one in three kids in my region of Angola, one in three kids under the age of five don't survive. One in three. 
And they're all loved. As much as you have loved your kids, they're all dearly loved. They're all dear losses. Why are people in Angola born to lives of such difficulty? It's all labor. They plow all their fields by hand. They harvest all their crops by hand. And they have nothing else to live on other than what they grow. There are mornings, you guys, when I cry out to God revolving around this why question. And I'm not uh, polite is the word that comes to mind. But my father knows me, and he knows my heart, and he forgives my four-letter words, and he forgives my tears, because there are so many things where I work that I don't have a freaking clue why they happen the way they do. Every morning I walk to the river, and a lot of those mornings, we have a river about a mile from our house, and a lot of those mornings are revolve around, God, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to hold another dead baby. I don't want to console grieving parents for the 10th day in a row. I don't want to face things that I don't know how to handle. I know how to handle if I would know how to handle them if I was in the States, but I don't have anything to handle them with. God, God, help me. God, why? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Amen. They will be comforted. I can't tell you how many times I leave my house and I head to the river convinced that I'm done. And I come back from that walk with my father ready to dive in again. Because blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. If we go to the comforter, Blessed are those who feel inadequate. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The people who are blessed in the kingdom of God are not often what we think, right? I'd like to tell you about a man named Albino. Albino, this revolves around the why question. Albino came to us about, um, this picture was taken about three months after I met him. Three months before this picture, he came to us carrying in between him in the front and another guy in the back on a motorcycle with their arms around their son. Their son was full of blood. He's 30-some years old. He's a strapping man. He got a hold of a knife, and he experimented on himself what a knife would do. He had puncture wounds, lacerations everywhere, full of blood. He's 30 years old, and he had got malaria when he was five months old, cerebral malaria, and lost virtually all... uh, cognitive development. So he has the mental age of a five-month-old, and he's got a 30-year-old healthy body. This guy came in, as happens to me sometimes, I get confronted with some things that are just too much to take. Sometimes I have to leave the room. One of those things that happens that I just can't take is when somebody with a severe developmental deficiency living in this environment, which I'll describe more, dirt floors, water from the river on their heads, no electricity. When one of these kids come in with their parents, clean and well-fed, cared for, these, these kids do nothing for their parents. And I'm not talking mentally deficient. I'm talking mentally not there. 
and yet they're cared for. This one, 30 years. I had to walk out of the room when I first met Albino before I started repairing him. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was seeing... I couldn't do it. I was seeing something that I couldn't do. That's the character of this guy. Three months forward, he comes to our hospital by himself. Lost, completely lost one side of his body. Can't move his arm, leg. Can't speak. Had a stroke about a week before. Comes to our hospital. Presents himself to us. And said to me, because I got to know him a little bit the first time. said, I've always been a provider for my family and a leader in my community. And I can't even talk. And I can't even walk. The next morning we had a meeting. We, we'll give you a couple of pictures of some of the meetings. Every morning we have a meeting in our clinic and we talk about how can we improve our physical health? How can we improve our spiritual health? It's a, it's a real joy uh, to interact with so many people. Uh, we estimate that these morning meetings we've We've interacted with about 50,000 people in small groups over the last six years, and it's a, it's a joy. Albino was with us one morning, and I was prompted that morning to say, to begin the meeting and say, so does anybody here have any questions about physical or spiritual health or struggling with something? Albino stands up with his cane, slurred words. And he tells us his story. He said, 25 years ago, I went to war to serve my country. And I got shot in the eye, lost my vision. Then I got shot in the abdomen. I almost died. And then uh, when the war was over, I went back home. Or when I got out of the army, I went back home. And my wife had abandoned our family and our five kids. And so I got back home to my village, and my five kids were scrounging around the village being cared for by their neighbors, but essentially abandoned by their mom. Albino didn't know about this. So he takes in his kids and starts feeding them, raising them, caring for them. And over the course of the next five years, three of his youngest kids died from malaria. He had five kids. His oldest... Uh, came to our hospital about a month before he came with his stroke. And she was in labor. And uh, it was a month when I wasn't there. I'm not sure I could have helped, but I wasn't there. And uh, she gave birth to a dead baby, and she died the next day. So four of his kids are gone. He's got one kid left, and it's this 30-year-old. Albino tells his story, and he stops and starts crying and he says I would just really like to know why and he sat back down and so there's a group of about I don't know 50 or 100 people there and God is something because that morning I had spent time in the story of Lazarus amazed by the fact that Jesus wept so the story you might know, he gets called by Martha and Mary, come, our brother's sick, your friend is sick, come and do what you can. He holds, he stays back, he says, I'm going to go, but it's okay, because this is all orchestrated by God. He shows up, 
Martha and Mary are grieving because Lazarus has died. There's grieving people all around. Jesus is confronted with this grief. And how does he respond? He weeps. Jesus, God, confronted with people's grief, weeps. I said, Albino, I just read this this morning. I described it to him. And I don't know why all that stuff happened to you. I have no idea. I feel horribly for you. I told him there's a story about a guy named Job in the Bible that suffered no more than you have. But Albino, I told him the story and I said, but Albino, Jesus was confronted with very difficult circumstances and the loss of a friend and grieving people. And he wept. He hurt for those people. I don't understand why this stuff stuff has happened to you, Albino. But just remember that he cares for you and he has likely wept along with you. If you ever are tempted to think that bush people, shoeless bush people who live with nothing and have no education are any different than you, remember that story. Albino asked the question that every one of us would ask. So this man who had lived a long life, he's in his 60s, who had lost so much now, part of his function, while in the hospital with a stroke, heard for the first time in his life that Jesus, who came back from being dead, wept for hurting people. First time. He got a glimpse of our Father's heart, like many of us have glimpsed our Father's heart. You know, each one of us here, when we, maybe we've heard that Jesus rose from the dead, maybe we heard that he walked on water, maybe we have been part of a church for a long time in our life, but probably most people here, there was a time in our life when we became convinced that God cares for us, cares for us, really cares for us, and that changed us, amen? Changed our perspective, changed our lives. And when that happens, we want others to know. We don't need the four spiritual laws. People don't need to know ABCD. Sometimes that helps. But they need to know God cares. And the best way that they can know that he cares is for us to care. Albino recovered fairly well over the next couple weeks. Was able to walk probably was able to work in his field again but before he left he tearfully told me one night that I'm going back and I'm telling people that Jesus wept because nobody knows that nobody knows that God cares so in this story of John that we read it's really interesting to me that the same Jesus who went, who wept when confronted with the loss of Lazarus and the grieving of his friends. In this story, his disciples ask why this is happening, why this happened to this blind man. And Jesus' response is, my father is, essentially, my father is in everything. That this happened for a reason that God was aware about, or God was aware of. It's both. 
And we see this in Angola. It's both. Our Father allows suffering. He's not absent. He's not unaware. We all know that. But what we so often forget is that he weeps with us. He hurts for what he sees here. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that it's both. We don't know what Lazarus had. We don't know the illness he had, but God allowed it. Jesus actually said that. He allowed everyone's anxiety when Lazarus was ill. Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus, come. They were, they were shook up. They were desperate. Jesus didn't go. He didn't respond. He allowed everyone to grieve. He allowed everyone to grieve Lazarus' death for, death for four days, I think. Then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Then a few years later, Lazarus died. And he didn't raise him from the dead. And he allowed it. And he probably died from an illness. Jesus indicates that all of this, from God's perspective, has purpose. And the purpose is all under the umbrella of a God who radically cares. I don't understand it all. Nobody here understands it all. But we want to remember what we do know. What we do know is God's in every circumstance and he radically cares. Jesus indicated that from God's purpose, it all occurred with purpose. Remember Jesus before Pilate. You can't do anything to me unless my father allows it. Wow. And then Pilate killed him. Did more than that. So in this story, this man was blind since birth so that Jesus could come and heal him at age 28. From one perspective, that's ugly. 28 years of blindness so that he could be made so that he could see and then live life for who knows how many years going forward. But that's, there's, that's hard for me to understand. I don't get it. But Jesus indicated that God allowed difficulty and pain in this man's life in order that he might see God, that he might see God's power. Has this happened to you? It's happened to me. As I look back on some of the most painful, confusing, and awful moments in my life, God and his affection for me was most clear when I was most confused, when I was most hurting. That's when his affection was most clear. That's what Jesus is indicating here. I can honestly say, I don't know about you guys, I can honestly say that without pain, confusion, mourning, thorns, I could never maintain a surrendered relationship with Jesus. I need, I need pain and difficulty and confusion in my life. I don't like it. But I see their value. It keeps me from thinking that I'm God. Amen? So he answers, Jesus answers their why question, and then he goes on to describe what in my mind is the essence of the kingdom of God. He says that this man's tragedy and hardship happened for a reason. Chosen by God. That God could reveal himself in and through the situation. 
I think the essence of the kingdom of God is God is always trying to reveal himself to us in everything, all the time. That's our Father's purpose, because he is light. He is life, and he wants to inject himself into every pleasant circumstance and into every unpleasant circumstance. Before he raised Lazarus, he told his disciples that Lazarus became ill and his family hurt and his friends grieved so that God would be honored and glorified in the outcome. Here, with the blind man, he says, God will be revealed in this. I'm here to be to bring light where there's darkness. Could it be that in every painful situation, could it be that in every painful situation that you have faced, and I know there's a lot of painful situations here, could it be that every painful situation that I see in Angola has God working within it to reveal himself to all involved, to bring everybody who's involved to a place where they can see him. Could it be that he's working in every situation to bring light to the darkness that is that situation? Could it be that he's bringing, seeking to bring light into every situation? And what is light? It is to know our king. It is to walk with our king. That is light. I've been wrestling for the last six months with the question, simple question, what if? What if? Um, what if in every situation we encounter that, what if every situation we encounter is God-appointed and is a God-appointed opportunity to bring light into darkness? What if there are no coincidences? What if God is working in the broken marriage to bring light into darkness? What if he's working in your cancer diagnosis to use you to bring light and to use others to bring light to you? What if he's using that difficult circumstance to bring light? What if in the loss of your child, the whole, the whole time, he was working a million different ways to bring light. I don't know a single person in Angola who hasn't lost one child, and I know very few who have lost one. Most have lost two or three. And it's devastating, and it's awful. Could it be that God is working even there to bring light? What if, what if he is in every tragic and every pleasant circumstance and one day we will understand? You know, Jesus, only Jesus, give, can give us a thousand-year perspective. Amen? Only Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about eternal life, a lot about things going on forever, including his love for us. What if Jesus said what he said about eternal life is true? A lot of us give lip service to that. But do we know that we will be meeting like this? That we will be embracing each other in a thousand years? Do we know that? Because it's true. 
do we know that we will worship together in a thousand years? We will still be seeking to draw closer to our King, to our Lord in a thousand years. See, this is the only way that I can go back to Angola. The only way I can go back to Angola and move away from what's familiar, move away from dear people that I love, my family, now my kids, the only way that I can go back to Angola and abandon what we have from an earthly perspective is to know that this is not it. So I don't see my mom and dad very much. I'm going to have thousands of years with them. How can I not go? I don't see my kids now nearly as much as I would like to. I love them dearly. Sometimes they love me. I'm going to have thousands of years with them. The people in Angola need help. All pain, if we have this perspective, all pain, all illness is temporary. All pleasure is temporary. Lazarus died. Jesus rose him from the dead. Lazarus died again. Jesus didn't rise him from the dead, but Lazarus is alive. And we will all get to meet him. We'll all get to hear his story. So we understand, we kind of understand, I kind of understand, that my king, my father, operates from this perspective, not from my perspective of, at this point, about 60 years. He operates from an eternal perspective that sometimes I get, sometimes I don't. But all the purpose that we're talking about, all the good things that we're talking about that could be maybe the good purpose involved in bad things, it's because he operates from this perspective. So how did Jesus respond in this story to a tragic and confusing situation of great need? A man blind from birth? First he said that the suffering was not a coincidence or an accident, which we've, we've covered. It happened with purpose, said by Jesus. Then he responded. Then he intervened. He said he must bring light to darkness. His mission stated several times throughout his ministry was that he was here to bring light to darkness. He called himself the light of the world. And then he called all those who would follow him to be light, to go to the darkness and be light in this world. He said we would be his body. We would be his body, going to the darkness to be light. Going to the pain, going to the despair, to those hurting, to those neglected, to those forgotten, going there, going to them to bring light to darkness. This is why we're in Angola. We get to go where it's dark, where people live in darkness in such difficulty and participate with our king to bring a little light to the people there. There's another reason why we're in Angola. A few years ago, through some tough circumstances, Jesus showed me very clearly that 
Your life, Tim, is not about you. It's not about your issues. It's not about your difficulties or your successes. He told me that life is found in developing a passion for benefiting others. This isn't the key to happiness. The personal happiness, this isn't the key to personal happiness, but it's the key, it's the key to life. He brought me to a place, you know, there, we had bracelets a few years ago, what would Jesus do? I don't think those were really too kingdom accurate. I think a better question would be, what would you have me do when we're confronted with a situation? I don't want to think what would Jesus do because I'm not Jesus, but I would love him to guide me through this situation and show me how I can bring light to this darkness. Father, what would you have me do? You know, light doesn't benefit the light. It does no good under a basket. It only has benefit in darkness. Only. We're not called to gain blessings in our life. We're not called to be successes. We're not called to pursue peace and joy and healing. We're called to go to the darkness and live for another's benefit to receive with gratitude all our Father gives us and redistribute it, not hold it. Everything we have, we have in order to be redistributed. We get to participate with God as far as where we redistribute it. What a privilege. Incredible privilege. Let's make sure that we don't hold on to it Let's get it where our Father would have it go so that it can bring all our stuff, ideas, our passion, our voice can benefit others by bringing light to darkness. Jesus, the one we follow, did not come to the earth so that he would experience blessings, so that he would experience peace, so that he would be happy. I think we all know that. That was not his goal. And we say that we follow him. He came to give his life away, to give his life and his light to others. We live in Angola not because it gives something to us, it gives nothing to us. I have, I have nothing in all caps. It's not a fun place to live. There's very little pleasurable about it. But we're there because we benefit, many others benefit from our presence there. The kingdom of God is not about me. It's not about my joy. It's not about my peace. It's not about my success. It's also not about my suffering and my difficulty. The kingdom of God is about going to the darkness and bringing light to that darkness. Our king is calling all of us today to abandon our pursuit of a good life here. Why? So that God will love us more? He can't. No greater love has this. He cherishes us more than any of us know, and it cannot increase. Why do we abandon our life, abandon our pursuit of a good life here to receive more blessings? We hear that a lot. If you do this, you'll be blessed. 
Jesus told, those, told us who, who is blessed. Those who mourn. Those with another focus. Those with hunger and thirst for him. Why do people mourn? Why do people who go to the darkness mourn? Because the dark is a, darkness is a hard place. I mourn all the time, every day in Angola, with someone, for someone. But that's okay, because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Sometimes we avoid those hard situations because we don't want to mourn. Jesus said, go where there's mourning. Go where there's difficulty and join them in their pain. We abandon our pursuit of success and a good life here so that others can live better. It's that simple. That's it. I really believe Jesus has shown us the key to life in these last 15 years overseas. That we are to abandon the pursuit of personal gain. Abandon the pursuit of personal gain. Our Father will care for us. He cares for sparrows. Ask our Father, what would you have me do? And do it. Connected with Jesus. Find darkness and bring light. I think that's the key to life. We can bring light in so many different ways. Big ways and small ways. Every single interaction that we have if we look at life as every single interaction we have is an opportunity for us to bring light to darkness, wow, that's cool. To find the darkness in the person, the struggles, the pain in the person that you're interacting with, and God, what would you have me do? How can I bring light into this situation? Sandy's here, is here to, again today? She's hiding. So I said last night briefly, Sandy was here. Sandy Hutchinson works in the church. There's over the last 15 years, I can't tell you how many times I've come into this church heavy and burdened. And she has greeted me. And some of these interactions take a couple of minutes, no more. And every single time I leave lighter. That's light. That's bringing light. That's a simple, easy, uh, that's not profound that's not holding a dead baby. That's light. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of tents you guys make. Paul was a tent maker. It doesn't matter what we do for our job. It doesn't matter our ministry, what ministry we're in. The key is, are we bringing light? Are we relieving burdens? Are we finding the darkness and bringing Jesus to the darkness? In this story, how did, Jesus, how did Jesus bring light to the darkness? He demonstrated, he demonstrated that he could use something with no power in and of itself to do something radically beautiful. Saliva has always been considered dirty. Nobody likes getting spit in their face. He combined it with dirt. Dirt's kind of dirty. Both have no value in and of themselves at all. And this is us. Jesus used mud and spit to return to this guy or to give this guy sight. 
This is how we see ourselves in Africa. We are mud and spit. We have, the more you got to know us, the more you'd realize that they are pretty, pretty simple. There's not a whole lot to these guys. We're mud and spit, and we buy that. But we are mud and spit in some incredibly beautiful and capable hands. And it's those hands on which we depend. There's so much darkness and pain in Angola. We asked our father, what would you have us do? And he told us that he wanted to send mud and spit to some places where he wanted to work. He, at some point I became convinced that he actually could use me. And a lot of people in this room are in that position. Can he use me? Really? He used mud and spit. At some point I became convinced that I could be mud and spit. And I think everybody in this room can come to that place as well in their interactions with Jesus. He loves using tools. He loves using people to bring light into darkness, to bring relief to people's pain, to give people a glass of cold water. He used water to make wine. He used his robe to heal a woman. He used four friends to lower a man through a ceiling in a house so he could heal him. He used mud and spit here. He wants to use you. He wants to use me to bring light into darkness. To be mud and spit in his beautiful and powerful hands. We've been in Angola about eight years. I'll fly through the the rest here. We've been in Angola about eight years. This is Angola again. This is um, Kavangu, uh, the part of Angola in which we live. We live in a very rural setting. We're developing a clinic and a hospital. We're five hours to the closest city. There's no electricity. It's basic, basic. The people live simply. They live in severe poverty. Not enough water. They carry water on their head from the river. They're they're malnourished. They eat twice a day. They eat the equivalent of what we would call grits. And no butter, no salt, no cheese, just grits. Uh, The wealthiest among them make $2 a day when they can find work. Their houses are grass, stick, and clay that never stay dry in the rain. There's no access to decent health care. There's no electricity, no plumbing, no toilet paper, no toothbrushes. They're crazy thin. Almost everyone is illiterate. There are no books, no magazines, no newspapers. They have few shoes. They only have rags for clothes. They eat the same meal twice a day, I already said. And they live with a sense of community that I have never known. They live with a sense of brotherhood that I've never known. They are so beautiful. When we moved there, our first prayer was, God, please give us love for these people. And he answered that prayer. We love these people. And we want to give you a glimpse over a couple minutes of a slideshow uh, that kind of will give you a feel for the people that we serve. So I'll stop for about four minutes and we'll play the slideshow. And then I'll pick up again and we'll, we'll wrap up, hopefully, Within the hour. Huh? Ah, okay, okay. 
Um, so, yeah, if, if you get it, just shout, and then I can stop anywhere. It's nice to give you a feel for the people that we interact with, even though it's brief. So Angola. So we work in Angola. Angola is uh, post-war, 30 years of civil war. Um, Civil war means means families fighting against families, and it isn't along divisional boundaries like our civil war. This was a civil war of a philosophy, a philosophical rebellion against the communist government that was Angola. And the rebels believed in freedom, and the United States, South Africa, allied with the rebels, and the rebels lost. So we have a communist country, a communist regime. The dictator uh, was uh, kicked out about two, di- two years ago. We have a new guy who, who has, seems to be moving his country in a decent direction. But the leaders there, the people in power, do not believe we are only in Angola to serve in health care. They think that's a front. They just haven't found yet what we're really there for. Because in their worldview, people don't do that. And so when people enter our world... <laughs> And they're different than, they, they, we can't fit them into our worldview, we dismiss them. Or we call them evil, right? And that's what they've done. They, they see us as evil, they just haven't found exactly why. We work under this suspicion all the time. Um, the leaders there do not value freedom. The value, they value order and control. Anything that values freedom, anything that preaches submission to a power other than the state is a threat. And so we're a threat. And uh, that's just a reality uh, that we work under, and it makes things somewhat complicated at times. We work with community leaders. Can you, um, yeah, there you go. We work with community leaders, so we gather the leaders of the region around uh, maybe quarterly, and we have meetings and we we have developed a problem list and we address the problems and struggles and difficulties that they have and um, uh, look for ways to intervene in ways that can help the community, both with local resources and outside resources. Beautiful group of men, mostly men, but beautiful group of men and women um, to work with. These guys embrace what we do. These guys have gotten to know us, and they're a pleasure to, to work with, to find ways that we can improve their communities. We're also building a school, the current school. This is the current school, and it's real simple. Um, the roof doesn't work. That's the chalkboard. It doesn't work. Um, just no chairs, just the floor. We're also building a hospital Um, This is the beginning of the uh, first building. Um, The next few slides show a little bit of the development of the building of that hospital. It's been put up by a beautiful church, or it's been funded by a beautiful church in Colorado Springs who have sent over several teams to um, train the guys there to put up this building. And it's we want to put up five buildings about like this. And if we can put up five buildings like this, it'll give us a real simple, basic hospital where every patient has a roof over their head. And um, we'll have a, some basic laboratory and some basic uh, x-ray. And we'll have energy, solar energy. 
Um, but this is one of the things that we would like to do. We'd like to build a school, and uh, I don't think there's anything that will change, transform the region more effectively than a school that teaches people to read. Nobody can read there. That teaches people Portuguese, which is the language of commerce in the country. And anytime we get a chance to teach kids, we have a platform to introduce them to our king. And so to both teach them practical ways to improve their lives and, um, and introduce them to our king, what a, what a privilege. We're trying to, we've tried for several years to re recruit teachers to come over, and we haven't been successful. So now we're sending people from the village into the city to receive education, and then they will come back in three or four years and be our teachers. We still need teachers from here who can come and be counselors or, or consultants, if you will, for those teachers and help them along because they will, have, they will return with a high school degree and they'll, they'll learn on the job. As you've already seen in many slides, we gather 50 to 200 people every morning for a 30-minute discussion on how we can improve our physical and spiritual health. The spiritual health mainly involves preaching the good news. We don't preach salvation. We preach that you can invite light into your life, that you can know Jesus, that he's alive, that you can know God's affection for you, how much he cares for you. You can walk with God, and nothing, including death, can separate you from him, from that love. We talk a lot about eternal life because this life, for many of them, is just so difficult. And that is hope to them. The whole thousand-year perspective, that is hope for them. They just hope thousand years isn't like what they've experienced. We are leaving. Uh, we might leave tomorrow. We might leave in 10 years. But one of the, one of the perspectives of a missionary, missionary who's doing his job well is always knowing that you are on your way out. And so we make, a, we make great effort to train people to carry on the work when we leave so we have about 20 people that we're training intensively in our hospital. Um, they're operating the clinic now while we're back in the States, and I interact with them almost every day, and it seems like they're just doing a really good job. Beautiful people, beautiful group of 20 people that we get to work with every day. Um, I see between, as a physician, I see between 30 and 80 patients a day. Many, many you will see in the video if we get it working. Um, and just let me know if you if it's going to work. No? Do you want to try my, with my computer? Okay. Many of them you'll see in the video. Um, and we tell everyone that we see that only God gives life, and only, therefore only God heals, and that God is involved in working in every situation. He's involved even in this tragic situation that brings you to our hospital. He's working. He's involved in it. Let's talk to him. Let's go to him. We use every tool at our disposal to help our brother and sister. I used to buy the emphasis that missionaries had to emphasize the eternal until I went and lived in these people's pain. And then I remembered that Jesus demonstrated radical concern for people's earthly and eternal predicament. Physical needs and spiritual needs are both and in the kingdom of God. It's a both and emphasis. It's not an either or emphasis. And I love my VCD family and the perspective that we have here in the way that we reach out to people no matter where they are and look to assist them in any way possible. 
with the hope of introducing them to our Father. Amen? We pray together with every patient, um, emphasizing that God is involved in every dark situation. We see so many miraculous recoveries. We see so many people die early deaths. I go through weeks at a time where I will hold one or more dead children every day. Sometimes I wait in the morning to find out not if this child died during the night, but how many. Malaria season, malaria is awful and um, kills so many in our region. Most of the time people wait too long to come in. Um, not always. We see crazy miraculous recoveries as well, but um, many difficult cases. We can be light in both. Amen? We can be light when people are grieving. We can be light in death, and we can be light in a miraculous recovery as well. I also travel with MAF uh, to go to other places in Angola and do clinics, especially in the South Desert where it's really brutal and some really hard people groups live. So we go down there quarterly. Next year we're going to go every other month, and they're hard trips. We sleep on the ground, and we don't have running water, and it's hot, and they're tough, but these people have no one else. Jesus wept. I cry a lot, especially on my morning walks. Uh, Jesus hears from my mouth probably some things that he doesn't hear from your mouth on those morning walks. They're not always pretty discussions, as I alluded to earlier. I hate seeing people die every day. I, saw, I have, deal with anxiety. I deal with depression. I've been depressed since I've been back. I'm not self-aware enough to know exactly why. Culture shock or something, I don't know. But you know, I was in this position a couple years ago, and I came and spent a month in and around Sunbury, and when I left, it was gone. So we're hoping for something similar. There's nothing like family. Amen? Last time I returned from Angola a couple years ago, I was totally fried. I received counseling, and they said, do nothing but recover. We did nothing. We recovered. We're not in that place now. That's really nice. I love, I love the idea of kingdom math. And kingdom math essentially is one life. It's of value, and it's worth giving one life for the sake of many. And so when I ask myself, is it worth it? Is it worth throwing my life away? Is it worth leaving everything familiar? Is it worth all the, all the tears and all the morning walks to the river? I think so. Because of kingdom math. We're all in that position where we can either live for ourselves you know, the American church largely, not VCDC, but the American church largely lives for themselves and carries Jesus along. We can be that way. Or we can abandon everything that means anything to us for the sake of another. We can look for ways to distribute what he's given us, our effort, our time, our resources, to somebody to give light. 
just to give you a, a perspective on my, the perspective that I've developed, I hate what I do. I hate holding dead babies. I hate maternal catastrophes. I hate seeing people that I can't treat in my, with my limited resources. Most days, I don't like what I do as I go through the day. But when I lay my head down at night, I love the fact that people are benefiting from my life. What's more important? You know, what's more important? Each one of us has that question to face. Do I want to live a day today that's good for me? Or do I want to give today away and put my head down tonight and say, I gave my life away and they're going to benefit? I don't want to feel good because I gave my life away for no reason, right? That's religious garbage. But if someone else benefits, how about if two or three? So this is who we are. We're mud and spit, all of us, in some pretty beautiful and capable hands. We have a nickname in Kavango we call God the wind out of John 3 because Jesus said the Spirit of God goes where he will, touches who he will. We don't know where he's coming from. We don't know where he's going. And that's what we see in Kavango. We see some miraculous, beautiful things. We see people like, like Albinu who has an incredible touch from God. And we see a lot of people who we wonder if anything's going on behind their eyes when we talk to them, you know? To tie it all together briefly, uh, before our second service starts, um, this is Moises. Moises, if you remember in the story of John, if you read on after verse 7, you, real, you find out that Jesus cured this guy of blindness, and this guy was crazy ecstatic. He went around telling people, I don't know what the heck just happened to me, but I was blind and now I see. Who did this to you? I don't know, but I'm blind. I was blind and now I see. Where did it happen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. All I know, all that's, that's the essence that you get is that all he said to anybody was, I don't know, but I was blind and now I see. Moises came to our hospital a few months ago. Um, he had been in, in bed, bedridden for six years. Gradual paralysis eventually, over those six years, couldn't use any, couldn't use his arms, couldn't use his leg, had to be fed. During the last year of this thing, he lost his sight in both eyes. So here's a guy laying in bed for six years, bedridden for six years, completely immobile for about two, and blind for the last two. He came to our hospital. We started him on some pretty basic treatment after making a, a presumed diagnosis. And... Um, after a few days, he was moving his hands. And after a few more days, he was sitting up in bed. And after a few more days, he was standing by the bed. And after a few more days, he was walking. We diagnosed him as having uh, cataracts in both eyes. And we have a friend that we sent him to that does cataract surgeries. Uh, we sent him five hours away, did cataract surgeries in like a hut. And uh, Moises came back seeing. Moises for a month in our clinic yard, yelled and shouted and talked and smiled and laughed with anybody who would hear him and said, 
I was in bed for six years and I'm walking. I was blind and now I see. We have so many stories like Moises. One, one day we were doing our early morning talk and Moises was sitting here beaming before he went home. And just as healed as could be for a 60-some-year-old guy, and sitting right behind him was a guy who had been with us for a week who had terminal liver cancer, and he, was, he didn't survive a week. It's always both. It's always both. And we can be light to both. We spent a lot of time with a guy who was going to die in a week, loved him, told him the truth, embraced him, trying to be light to him. And we spent a lot of time with Moises doing the same. We need help. And this message is especially important to my family, my VCDC family. We need help. Long-term missionaries are a dying breed and yet are so necessary. Many people think that missionaries have to be skilled, and we need skilled people. We need mechanics, we need builders, we need doctors, we need nurses. But more than that, we need unskilled people who love people who are willing to abandon their life for their king to love people that they don't know. The example I use is if, if we had somebody to sit in the yard of our hospital for the next 20 years and share the love of Jesus with all of the people who come and go and come and go. They would have an eternal impact that they would never have here. If somebody came and just visited villages, lived with us, near us, visited villages, just made it a point to sit down and talk with anybody who would listen about the kingdom of God, about helping them in their physical lives, what an impact they would have. If we had women come, women in our culture are always trying to think of the kindest way to put this. Objectified, they're not people, they're slaves, and they're beautiful. They do everything. Kind of like nurses in an emergency room. <laughs> Old joke. So um, if we had women who would come and value these women, Would you be embraced and would you be heard? If we had people come and devote themselves to the kids, kids are completely neglected in this culture. So many ideas, so many ways. We are called to make disciples, you guys. Short-term teams are great. Short-term teams assist the long-term missionaries and they have purpose. But we're called to make disciples. And all humans are more likely to believe people they trust. They're more likely to hear, listen to people they trust. And trust can only be developed over time, and it can only be developed through relationship. We need long-term missionaries. We need short-term trips. We need both. The latest statistic I read is that one out of 50,000 churchgoers is a long-term missionary. 
For every 50,000 church goers around the world, there's one long-term missionary. Couple, couple last things. If you would like to learn more, we would love to meet with anybody who would like to meet with us. We are part of this family. We live elsewhere. We would love to be known. We know a lot of people here, and we don't know. You don't know us. We don't know a lot of people here. We would love to be known. We would love to get to know you. If you would like to know more, there's a sign-up sheet for small groups in the back. There's magnets that you can put on your fridge with our information on them. We have a slide here that has our information on it that you can write it down. So what, my question to you as we wrap up, I don't know if we can do ministry time, but we can always do ministry time. Amen? Grab somebody who, and have them pray for you if there's something specific that you would like to deal with before your father. If you've struggled with why, the, the why question, and you need help with that. If you've struggled with, if, you've, if you needed to hear again today that Jesus weeps, if you needed to see a picture of who your father was in that regard, if you needed to hear again that God is in everything, even the confusing and difficult circumstances, if you needed to hear again that your father wants to use you to be light in every interaction that you have every day. Maybe you needed to hear that you are mud and spit. That's, you have no expectations. I mean, Jesus used sheep. That's not much better. You have no, he has no expectations on you if you're, in your, if you're in his hands. If you're walking close to him, he can use mud and spit. Maybe, maybe there are people here who would like to contribute financially to the work that we do in Angola. And it's not possible for you to go. I did a quick calculation a couple days ago and, this, and saw that if every adult in this church contributed $1 a day for the next year, we would have enough money to build the school and build these hospital buildings because they're simple. Maybe you needed to hear, maybe you've had a conversation with your father in the past about going and serving cross-culturally, maybe you need to address that with him again. Maybe he's calling you to go to darkness outside of this country. Maybe he's calling you to, to find, to more purposefully seek darkness in this country. I've communicated to you today that our life is hard, but that many benefit. And I'm kind of recruiting like Jesus did. Jesus said, come follow me. I have nowhere to lay my head, but come follow me. And I'm communicating that our life is difficult, but we need help. And the people that we serve would so benefit from more boots on the ground. If our Father is leading you to consider joining us in our work, we have a place for you. And we would love to talk more over coffee, over lunch, over breakfast. To wrap up, as you leave, let's remember the key to life. The key to life is that you can abandon your life here. Each one of us here, we can abandon our life. We can. Each one of us here can ask our Father, what would you have us, what would you have me do? And each one of us here can be mud and spit, taking light to dark places. Here, in 
this area, in your neighborhood, in your family, in an inner city situation in Brazil, in Angola. Taking light to the darkness is what each one of us is called to do. Amen? Thanks for your patience. I know I've so, done it again, brother. No. <laughs> but you know what I love about this? I don't know about you, but I, I, we live in an insulated bubble. And what Tim is describing today is going on right now in lots and lots and lots of places. The need is overwhelming. And so I, it's hard to hear, but it's so good for us to hear. Because, you know, why don't we stand up? Here's where we're going to end off. <clears throat> I've picked out 10 people that are going to go to Angola. No. <clears throat> yeah, spin the bottle. <laughs> Everyone runs. Now, you know, today, as, as, as Tim was sharing, I just had this picture of Jesus here with us, just reaching into his heart and, and holding it out to us. And it was, it was him wanting to get, show us more of his heart for you but also show him more of his heart for the world. And I would just love, Tim, could you just pray for us just to end off our time, uh, and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Mm-hmm. Father, please continue to stir in each one of us what you would have us do. Please... Bring each one of us to a place of more and more and more surrender so that someone else benefits. Please use us, each person in this room, God, and show us how. Show us what darkness to go to, and we will go. Show us what darkness to go to, and we will go. Thanks so much, Father, that you speak to us And thanks for gathering this gathering today that you ordained a long time ago that each one of us would be here to spur each other on in our walk with you. Thanks so much, Father. Amen. Well, bless you. Uh, Don't forget there's sign-ups. There's uh, there's sign-ups in the lobby, different things. But bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon, and we'll see you next week. Bless you.